welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Norm, for being a part of the conversation for the podcast. Um, Norm Wakefield is um, the ex executive director of Spirit of Elijah Ministries International. And then um, you're also an author of a book that's been influential in my life and my children's lives uh, called Equipped to Love. And do you want to say anything else, uh, you know, just to start off, uh, to say anything else about yourself or your ministry? Well, I'd be happy to just first, Will, thanks for letting me join you in this. I'm really looking forward to it and uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, so the Spirit of Elijah Ministries is was founded almost 25 years ago. Uh, the main purpose was to turn the hearts of men to the Lord. And uh, so since that time, there's this is like eight books later and about maybe 15 different audio or video web, you know, um, uh, series in equipping men. And then my latest book is actually a sequel to the equip to love, which is live to love experience, freedom and joy in relationships. And it's a discipleship tool for uh, making disciples who live to love with Jesus. And that's where my heart beats. Okay. Well, you, you know, you asked um, about our connection. Um, I've seen you at homeschool conferences before, or at least one, maybe multiple, you know, several years back. Mm -hmm. And uh, you made an impression on me then. And then um, your book, Equipped to Love, um, my daughter and her um, husband, when they were preparing for marriage, they read that book and and that, you know, made a pretty big impact on her and a particular friend of hers. And some of my other kids have read it. And I believe I've read it too, but it's been several years ago. <laughs> but, um, and then there's, um, I remember, I, you know, you mentioning something that um, has always been in my head. Um, this was like years ago, but I've remembered it. And um, I thought that would be interesting to, um, bring up. So at some point, you know, I, I got a note here, I'm going to bring that up. But um, also I was just, um, I'm familiar with the Moeller family and I was oh, doing yeah. the same thing with John Moeller. And, um, <clears throat> and I mentioned you and he said, Oh, he's my uncle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Um, okay. So anyway, um, I guess one thing, you know, just to start off with, and this is because it's been on my mind lately. Um, it's just the whole matter of being impacted by the gospel. Um, so this is kind of like a big thing just to start off with, but it's um, the gospel is a powerful thing I've experienced in my life as far as um, when it's felt. I mean, when I, um, I've been meditating some on first John one, nine, um, if we confess our sins um, he is uh, just, just and righteous or righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when that's felt by me, it's a powerful thing. And no matter what else 
is wrong in the world, whatever distress I'm dealing with, if me, if, if I feel like um, I'm right before God and he loves me, um, everything else can be wrong, but I, I can have that satisfaction and feel okay. Like everything can just fall away, but, and it's okay because I'm in the hands of God. He loves me. But that's not always something that's felt, and um, and when it's not, it's just words that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have the the power, you know, to um, to help in this evil life of like destruction and distress and stuff like that. So um, I guess that's just um, something I thought we would start off with. Do you have any? Thoughts about how to carry that with us, um, that impact that the gospel can have. Um, and just to add to that, you know, I, I was just looking at here recently, James talking about looking into the perfect law, um, the law of liberty, and um, and it almost and not being forgetful of it. Um, like uh, looking into a mirror and going away and forgetting, but somehow um, it affecting one's actions and they, they're being a doer of it. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, that rem- I'm assuming that he's referring to the gospel and, and just the impact it makes on one's life and that leads to actions. But, you know, there's something about looking into it. Um, but anyway, I'll just let you take it away and just whatever thoughts you might have. Wow, what a question, Will. <laughs> um, so is it okay if I break my answer into two parts? One, well, sure, yeah. just to be clear, um, in the gospel, when we say the gospel, um, I'm going to just say that basically a good um, pattern for that is the Apostle Paul from the Corinthians where we're talking about God sent his son and he became flesh and he became a substitute for us. That was God's plan all along that Jesus would come live a perfect life for us and be able to give us a righteousness that is a gift, not one that's earned. And then that he would die our death. We owed a penalty because of our sin and Jesus came to pay that penalty for his people. So he became their substitute. And his life was not taken because he spoke to power. His life was laid down. Jesus was commanded by the Father to lay down his life. And so he came and did that for us as an act of love. So we would know what love looks like, which is going to shift toward the second part of this question. And that is the action um, that results from that. But not only did he die our death. In order to live, God raised him from the dead after three days in the tomb, and he his life becomes our life. And so now our lives are hidden with Christ in God, and his life is in us, and our life is in him, and that is really, really good news. It comes to us by faith, faith alone, and comes with grace, by grace alone, all for the glory of God. So when we look into that, I would agree with you. My heart goes, 
I can rest and relax and find peace in this world. Um, but I think what it does also, and this is actually the purpose of my second book, Live to Love, and that is that um, it gives us a new purpose. That gospel changes everything. And one of the first things it changes, and Jesus called his disciples to this, um, is we used to live for ourselves and life was all about us. And now we live to love with Jesus. Uh, it's not us loving for Jesus. It, we actually have, <laughs> this is amazing, isn't it? We have the life of Jesus Christ living inside of us and he is, and he's God and God is love. And I think that's what James is referring to when he says the perfect law of liberty, where there, as he, as Paul said in Galatians 5, there's no law when it comes to love uh, and the life of the Spirit. You don't need laws. You got one law. It's all summed up in the word, in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that word is love. Um, and so we have this incredible privilege of waking up every day to live to love with Jesus. And that's the living of the gospel. So we've got the gospel that puts us in right relationship with God. It puts us into a relationship with him so he can love, you know, and live through us. And that makes, that gives us a whole new purpose for living and gives us a different foundation. Now his thinking becomes our thinking or in a, in a process, you know, but, um, I don't know if that completely answers your question, but that's my first uh, my first response to the gospel, and then what it looks like as it's lived out. It's going to look like love, right? Um. So, um, when, like, perhaps after um, a time of th th there's a need of repentance. And that takes place. And that perhaps is a time when just really feeling um, satisfaction and forgiven and so forth. But sometimes it seems like, well, I'm not sure if there's anything I really need to repent of or confess. And yet I just feel um, barraged by the world and, um, and disconnected from God somewhat. So it's not like there's an, an action on my part that I need to do in order to regain that. And yet it's not there. Um, and, you know, when it comes to love, um, the power of that comes from feeling God's love, I think, and that satisfaction and, and feeling and that lack of fear. Otherwise, we are um, kind of focused on... Um, Am I measuring up? Am I, um, do people look at me and, or in the right way, you know, am I, um, doing what I'm supposed to, you know, but when that's removed, um, there's a freedom to love, I think that mm -hmm. comes from that, but it's not something that's emotionally felt all the time. Um, do you have any thoughts about how to, um, when that's just words, um, you know, you know the content of the gospel, but it just seems not to be making an effect on one's life. Do you have any thoughts about how to engage with that and um, um, 
just you know make it feel more real and and have that emotional connection with it um, where you're feeling the freedom rather than the fear of measuring up and so forth. Sure. Well, let's see if I can put together some thoughts that we can kind of follow a line of reason in this one. Um, so I think we would all agree we would like to feel God's love. Um, and right. that's a wonderful thing. He does let us feel his love sometimes, but not all the time. And I think there's a reason for that. But maybe the first thing to do is just define love. Because today when we use the word love or when the word love is used, boy, can it mean a lot of different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a definition that I really like. My spiritual mentor, Jerry White, is the one who told me about this definition. He heard it in a seminary class. And I really like it. And it's this. The sustained direction of the will toward the highest good of another, no matter what the cost. Now, that's an incredible definition to me. The sustained part of the will tells me, number one, it's supernatural. The kind of love we're talking about when we talk about God's love is a supernatural love because our love <laughs> is hardly sustained. We, we, can, we can keep it going for a little while, maybe, you know, as long as we're feeling good, like you say, um, we seem to be able to kind of gin that up and go f- with it. So we're not talking about a natural kind of love. This one is a sustained direction of the will, which tells us God's love for us is not based on how he feels about us. Can we all just take a big sigh of relief right there? (laughs) Uh, You know, we think that uh, is our love something that's based on our feeling and how we feel about somebody? In many cases, it is. And when it is, that's an earthly kind of love. But God's kind of love is a choice. It's a choice that I make based on my not my feeling of God's love, but my experience and of the truth of God's love in the gospel. So, and it's not just, uh, it is a choice I'm going to make for the highest good of another person. Now that means I may need to speak the truth in love. It may mean I I need to be silent. I mean, that's going to look different in every situation. Um, And being guided by the Holy Spirit, we learn how to love with Jesus. Um, And it's going to cost us something And what I've just defined there is I've kind of taken God's love and mixed it with our love or his love through us. But what that means, the reason that definition is important to me is now I need to, that helps me to remember that I'm to love other people like he loved me. And he loved me in that, in that way. I've just defined it. It, It's a choice that is sustained by his grace and power. So When I think about loving others, it's not that I need to gin this kind of love up. I can look at how he's loved me and say, you know what? I will choose to love this person, not based on how I'm feeling right now about them or how I feel about God or even how I feel about me. God loved me by choosing to love me and he chooses to love me this very minute because I don't feel lovable, maybe. Like you're saying, there's times we don't feel like we're really connected and we may not feel very lovely or lovable. 
But the great thing about the gospel is it tells me, oh, it's not based on whether I'm lovely or whether I'm lovable. <laughs> it's based on God is love. And he is full and satisfied in love uh, between the Father and the Son. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so taking that thought, I'm going to now move it forward to, you mentioned not having fear. In I wonder if you weren't referencing 1 John 4 where it says, so um, in this is love perfected in us. Um, that, well, I don't want to mess this verse up. <laughs> it's so important. I'm going to look it up to be sure. Um, so patiently, thank you. Um, so first John chapter four, verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. So just a few comments on that one. Number one, we have perfect love in us, but we don't ever love perfectly. Hmm. Um, but he doesn't mean that we love perfectly. He means love is perfected in us, which mean, or with us, meaning it's the word telos, complete, finished. And I think mm -hmm. the idea here is this. When we experience the love of the Father through the Son, and then that love goes out through us, and we choose to love someone else, then love has finished its course. Mm -hmm. And when I see Jesus loving with me and through me, that gives me confidence that I'm his. And so there's no fear when I come to stand in the judgment because I know he loves me. And the reason I know he loves me is because he's loving through me. So now to your question, ultimately I'm getting to the answer to your question. And it's this, that when I feel distant or when people feel distant from God, they usually think, oh, God needs to do something. I need to have some experience with God. In other words, I need to receive something from him. And there's some truth to that. But I believe that to experience the love of God, the best way to do it is love people, is to live to love mm -hmm. with Jesus. So mm -hmm. that if I'm struggling or I'm feeling distant from God, the answer to that is go love somebody. The next person in your path, look to Jesus, abide in him, and look to and watch and experience Jesus loving that person through you. And as you love them, as love, you are being as he is in this world, as you are loving them, guess what? You get connected to God through experience and the feelings will follow. So the feelings don't drive it. The, the love of God drives it because we have the love of Jesus in us. So I believe that Anytime someone feels distant from God, the answer is um, love the next person that's in your path with the love of Jesus. And then love the next person that's in your path with the love of Jesus. And don't make it about you. Make it about, for the glory of God, 
let Jesus love. You know, he wants to love. He loves everybody he puts in your path. That's why they're there. <laughs> so I don't know. That's does that help? Will does that make yeah. sense? It makes sense. I mean, it's an a, a, it's an answer, and it seems like um, it, I can't think of anything better for an answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so anyway, it's uh, it seems like, um, and I I can kind of um, really you know kind of think of how scripture might confirm that. Like uh, I think John fifteen, where he it seems to be a little bit circular. Um, because of um, his, and I'm just paraphrasing just some real basic ideas, but because of of him working in us, we love, and then um, we love because, um, you know, to experience more of him or something along those lines, I, I forget. But yes, um, I have thought, you know, before along these same lines. So I think... Um, I think there's something to that. So your answer basically is um, to experience more of um, connectedness to God, you know, it would be through obedience to the command of Jesus to, to love one another. Yes. Um, Paul speaks about like loving and everything that we do. And sometimes, you know, if I was thinking about, um, um, what my life would look like if I was just loving and everything I did. Um, I don't know if my to-do list would be a whole lot different perhaps um, because, you know, I have a family um, to care for. So I got these responsibilities, um, work responsibilities, things to pick up at the store, uh, this to repair or so forth. But um, it doesn't feel like I'm, um, loving when I'm going through those things necessarily. I mean, sometimes, and it's kind of rare, um, I just think somebody's going to be affected by this action. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts are that way. And I could be doing something simple and mundane, but I think, you know, how I do this matters. Someone's affected by it. And there, you know, that feels like, hey, I'm kind of doing this in love. But most of the time, it's just, I need to get this done and um, I need to um, get it done so I can do the next thing, get that done. And then I need that done so I can do the next thing. And all these things need to be get, need to get done. And um, is it love? Well, I guess behind it all, love has set my course of life in this direction. But it doesn't feel like I'm doing all that I'm doing in love. It feels like I'm just trying to make it, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, so do you have any... Um, any thoughts about how that fits in with um, loving the next person? Perhaps it is trying to be more intentional, though it is hard to keep two things in one's mind at the same time, <laughs> you know, solving a problem and, sure. hey, who's, you know, how am I doing this in love and so forth, you know? Wow. Do I have any thoughts about that? So I'm pretty sure I've got more thoughts than we have time for. On that one, Will, <laughs> but I'll give you a few. Yeah. Um, sure. So maybe too late in life I've come to this, Will, but I've come to this point in my life where I believe that the gospel call 
is to live to love with Jesus. That's a, that's a purpose in life. And if that purpose, see, most people, they live to love for themselves. Now, this supernatural love and a supernatural life, which is what the Christian life is to be, is that we have a different purpose, and our purpose is to live to love with Jesus. And by that I mean that's why we eat, sleep, work, read our Bibles, pray, go to church, um, recreate, it all is for that purpose. Jesus lives in me and he's living his life through me and, and in me. And that's my purpose. It's to love. Well, when Jesus loves like that, what's so interesting for that to happen, Jesus said, it's all about abiding in me. I'm abiding in you and you are abiding in me. And that's your John 15 reference. I think you were, uh, you know, kind of pulling up in your mind a moment ago um, <laughs> that, you know, he gave the command, love one another as I've loved you. And then in John 14 and 15, he actually explained how he did that. So we would know how to, to love like that. And basically what he said was, I just received from my father. For the glory of my Father, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I, I'm, I'll put this in the words he used in another, at another time with his disciples. I'm like a child. I just received the kingdom from my Father. So when I love you, it's really the Father loving you. And he gets all the glory. So the Father glorifies the Son by loving through the Son. And the Son glorifies the Father by loving with the Father. Now, that pattern is the very same pattern Jesus came to establish in his people. He came and died to separate us, I mean, to put us back with God so sin couldn't separate us, so that he could come and live in us and love in and with us, and we could live in him, and we wouldn't live for our own purposes. We would live for the glory of the Father and the Son by simply receiving from the Son. And then the Son would glorify his name by loving in and through us. And here's the way Paul put it. This It's a worldview, Will, I think, that changes the way we live our lives, changes our purpose. It's 1 Corinthians 8, 6. As for us, there is one God and Father from whom are all things. And we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom or through whom are all things. And we exist through him. Wow. What a statement that is. That's a worldview. That means we Christians believe we don't initiate and we don't um, we don't start our lives and run. This is not about our agenda and writing our story. Our lives are now a, a life of receiving like a child receives from a father. And we have a great example of that in our daughter, Amanda, who has Down syndrome. She's 38. She's one of the most amazing people I know. She just receives all day long her life from her mother and me without complaint, with contentment, 
peacefully. Her life is so peaceful and contented. I want to be like her when I grow up. I want to just receive from Jesus like that. Now, here's why this is so important. Most people get up and they make their agenda. Like you said, we have our things we feel like we need to get done. Not a bad idea to have a plan. Jesus says we make our plan. I mean, the word says we make our plans. God establishes our steps. So we can make our plans. But what we do know is our life every day, God is orchestrating a race for us to run every day. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that um, we run the course set for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So God has set out a course, another way of saying there's one God from whom all things come and he loves us. And his purpose, I'm giving you three foundational truths here that is Jesus's worldview. Jesus viewed everything as coming from his father. The second thing of this worldview that frees us to love is um, we were made to be satisfied in him alone. Now, boy, is that a big one. In other words, God is working out our day every day for us to find our satisfaction in him more than our agenda, more than our getting things done, more than our performance, more than um, our relationships, more than anything we're doing. He is glorified most, as John Piper says, when we are most satisfied in him. So his purpose is working out in us this incredible joy of being satisfied in Jesus above the things that are on the earth and the things that can be done on the earth. And then the third foundational truth is for Jesus, it was expressing the Father. For us, it's we're being conformed to the image of Jesus through everything that's happening because he loves us. He's That's our highest good. That's what love is. The sustained direction of the will toward the highest good of another and our highest good is to become like Jesus and be satisfied in him. So with that in mind, uh, I formed a little prayer, um, Will, and it's this. And I say it every morning now. Father, thank you for another day of life. Sometimes I add there, which I don't deserve. <laughs> to live, to love you and know you and live to love with Jesus. Anoint and fill me with the Holy Spirit because I can't do this in my own strength so that I can love, I can love and trust you with whatever you give me today and love the people you put in my path today for your glory. Now in that little prayer is this, I may have my plans, but I believe that God is orchestrating my day down to every person that walks into my path. He loves them and he, he's, he's going to love them. I just get to be a part of it. Are you kidding me? We get to do this every day? We get to wake up and yeah, we're going to the store, but there's going to be people in that path to the store. Now there's where your love comes in. It's not just that you're going to the store because you're doing a, uh, you're helping your wife or you're helping your family. You are doing that. But you're going to the store because Jesus is putting people in your path that he loves. And he wants you to love them. Now, look at the difference between this. Usually when we're going to get our agenda done, we don't notice the people in our path. Because they're not the point. The point's getting that thing done. 
And so therefore, people will come into our life and we will just kind of go through. We'll be nice to them, maybe, we'll, but we're moving on to the next thing. When we're living to love with Jesus, boy, does that change the uh, landscape. Because now that, that person that's checking me out is a person Jesus loves. And I'm thinking, how can I love, how does Jesus want to love them today? Well, I can't interrupt their work and just go sharing the gospel with them. <laughs> they haven't got time for this. That's not thoughtful. But there can be some way to love them. And that's what gives meaning and purpose to the going to the store. Hmm. That's what makes the next thing meaningful and purposeful. And then there, I may be going from there to the post office to drop off a package. But when I'm going to the post office, I'm going there to live to love, not just get the thing mailed. So when I walk in and there's somebody at the desk, there's another person Jesus had in mind today to love. And that gives me purpose for going to the post office. And if, if you can kind of see now the flow and the role of this, right. <laughs> hey, you pray this before you even right after you wake up and guess who the first person in your path is? Well, it's probably your wife. So there's your, there's your first flow of the love of God going through you and it's connecting you to Christ. You're saying, well, this is, Jesus gave me this. You wake up, you go down to the kitchen and you get, you're getting a cup of coffee and your, and your daughter walks in you. Oh, there's the next one to love. And you go all the way through your day like that, and it completely is a different day compared to, oh, today I've got this list of things that I need to get done, and it just seems like I'm really not doing anything worthwhile. Hmm. That right. was a long answer to your question. <laughs> but right. that was a that was a good answer. I appreciate that. But I think it redirects our minds and gets our purpose off of us down to something that glorifies the Lord. I mean, who does mm -hmm. that? Only Christians live like that. Yeah. Um, as I've gotten out of my own circles um, and have met other people who are not Christians and just seen that, you know, they are there's some people I've met that are just seem to be caring people mm -hmm. interested in other people's welfare, willing to serve. It's kind of, um, and I've been reading in first John recently about how, uh, you know, if you, if you love, it's because you've been changed by God. If you, um, you know, you've been changed by God, you'll love and vice versa. And that's, you know, and it seems to be like some kind of distinguishing mark, but, um, it kind of uh, sometimes doesn't fit with just my experience when I see these people who are outside of the faith and yet seem to be genuinely caring people and so forth. Uh, sure. Yeah. But um, I guess you're, um, you're describing something and, and you're saying this is distinctively Christian. Um, and of course it is if it's like motivated by Jesus's glory and you know, wanting his grace to be seen, you know, of course that wouldn't be um, what's going on in the head of someone who's not a Christian. Of course. And that's a great distinction, Will. In John 15, Jesus said this, 
by this is my Father glorified that you bear fruit. And this is my commandment that you love one another. So, yeah, what makes the difference is that's not to say that people who don't know Christ can't be caring and thoughtful and uh, gracious. Um, you know, we could have a whole list of things there. <laughs> um, what we can't see is the motive behind it, and it's not ours to judge. That's God's to judge. Um, and there is a general grace that God gives that to, every, you know, to the common man, to somebody that's not a believer, that becomes an, a channel of well-being and, good, you know, benefit. I mean, we can kind of see that going on right now. There are people, refugees flowing out of Ukraine and yes, the church believers are loving them, but so are a lot of people who are not believers. Yeah. And I look at that as that's still God at work. It, mm -hmm. It's a it's a grace that God has given to a common grace, it's called, that still brings well-being in the world. And ultimately, we will see that's for the glory of God. It's just that that one individual is bringing no glory to God. And they're not having any confidence before God in the judgment because it's not the love of Jesus flowing through them. It's their, you know, it's their, their own strength and efforts. Um, and it could be they are that way because they, their worldview is the more good things I do, the better it goes for me later on. In some way, you know, but again, not mine to judge what's motivating their hearts. But I think you're, you've really made a good and valid point that the difference between the love of God is, of course, if it is the love of God, then he gets all the glory. If I do the loving for Jesus, then I would get the glory that probably doesn't go well. <laughs> you mentioned... Um prayer. So I didn't want to ask you about spiritual disciplines or routines, and that's one of them. Um, is there um, anything else that you practice that is helpful just to keep this before you? Mm. Yes. Um, so I think God is giving us some what's called theologically means of grace that keep that connection and keep the conversation going, you know, uh, yeah. so to speak, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. Um, and that is, of course, prayer, which um, I'll just take that as conversation with Jesus. It's not always just asking requests. It's just keeping relationship going. Prayer is a means of relationship. Huh. Then there's God's word that God has given to us. And I think of God's word kind of this way. The word of God is like a house to live in. Remember when Jesus said, um, I go to prepare a place for you, an abiding place for you so that you can be where I am. So where I am there, you can be with me also. I believe he <laughs> was saying, I'm going to go make a place in heaven for you. 
But what's interesting is the rest of chapter 14 and 15, the place that he prepared for us to dwell in, that he says over and over again, is his words. Hmm. So I think of his, that every word that Jesus spoke and that we find in the word of God is a place to dwell in. It's a place to go and live. Just like you go, you know, go to your home. It's a home for you. You can go there. You can meditate on that scripture. Think about that scripture. Read that scripture. And then live there. Move in, so to speak. And start, you know, just think through it. Well, why did, why did he say, um, I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper who will be with you forever. Wow. That's a great room in the house, don't you think? Here's this mansion with this, this room that says the Father's going to give me the Holy Spirit and he's going to be with me forever and he's going to be my helper. Like, how long can we think about that? How, how often can we go and live there? Anytime we need help? Yeah, there's a good time to go live there. That becomes a discipline. The discipline of life is as I go through my life and God creates need because everything comes from him. When he creates a need, he's actually beginning the prayer process. He's inviting me into prayer and he's inviting me to go live in his word and move into one of those rooms and dwell there in the midst of my life and what he's given me. And then the third way we stay connected is just obeying the word. So we've got prayer, we've got his word, and we've got obedience. And as we just practice those three disciplines, it actually results in our abiding in Christ. It's what keeps us connected. So we experience his life going through us, and um, we experience his presence. Um, Wow. Amazing. That's good. I've, I've thought before about the home as far as like God has made a home for my soul, like dwelling in his love. But the idea of looking at the word as a home kind of makes it more concrete and expands it more because of all the different facets of the word, you know, and what yeah. it includes and everything. So that's good. Yeah. Well, can, think of it like this. So the whole Bible is a house. It's a mansion. And Mm -hmm. each book is a room in the house. And each verse in the room is a decor item. It's it's something Mm -hmm. in the room. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of think of myself, I go into the room and I go, hmm, I wonder why he made this room. What's this room for? And then I wonder why he Mm -hmm. decorated the room like this. Why is that picture on the wall? Why is that piece of furniture there? You know, and... And that kind of imagery uh, helps me live there. Like I would do if I went into someone's house and thought, huh, look at how they decorated this room. I wonder why they built the house this way. Because I've done some remodeling, so I, I ask those kind of questions. Whenever I go into a house, I enjoy looking at the diversity and creativity. Well, speaking of... Jesus making a home and heaven and things like that. I guess this is kind of related and it was something I wanted to ask you about. And it's just more of 
I guess like a curiosity thing more than anything, I guess. But I, I remember listening to you speak and um, you were talking about the return of Jesus. Mm. And um, you even kind of illustrated things with your, your hands, like the globe and uh, the earth. And then like, um, this is, you know, is the return of Jesus like a little body coming through space into the atmosphere and stuff like that. And um, it was a little vague, um, and maybe it just has to be about just what the return of Christ is. Um, but you said something like maybe just the unveiling of her eyes to see that, you know, he is here or something. And I noticed that the scripture does use the word like revealing, I think, um, often when it talks about uh, Jesus, that he'll be revealed or his glory will be revealed. But um, then there is also the um, passage at the beginning of uh, Acts that refers to his ascension and coming back the same way that he came. And that is hard for me to imagine or think, is this real? What do I make of this? Because it, um, yeah, it's just like a big question mark for me. But um, can you um, just uh, just kind of give your thoughts on, you know, what do you think about that, the return of Christ? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sure. what do you think about that? Well, it's just where I... You ask me what I think, so I'm just share where I am at it right now. That doesn't mean that it can't it that I completely understand it or that it's not going to change to some degree. But the way I view the return of Christ is something like this. Um, so whenever Adam, I'm going to try to make this to get the whole line of reason and thought pattern here. So when Adam and Eve were here, they could see God in the garden. They had fellowship together. Um, There was no separation between earth and heaven. We know God's in heaven. Adam and Eve, we know we're on the earth. They could see those dimensions. They could see one another, at least. They They were at least aware of each other's presence, for sure, because they would walk together in the garden. It says, uh, which is an amazing, amazing thing to think about. Um, And then we know there's Satan who came into the whole picture. Um, Satan was in, he's in another dimension. He's not in the heaven where God is. And we can see that in the book of Job. He is before God. He's in, they can communicate, but they're not in the same dimension. But here Satan is kind of like the donkey with Balaam's donkey, you know, speaking through a an animal, um, a snake. He sinned. Adam and Eve sinned, and then they're kicked out of the garden, so to speak. Um, they were set. They were separated. They were separated from God. And. From that point on, I look at it this way. God didn't move. He didn't go anyplace. It's just that Adam and Eve became blinded to the presence of God. It's not like all of a sudden God goes way out past the moon and heaven is way out in space someplace. It's not. It's right here. It's just that we can't see it because we chose to worship what we could see and taste 
and experience over God. We became idolaters. And so we live every day naturally, the natural life they live every day. We have done it living by what we can see and taste and experience. That's life to us. That's how it is for the natural man. But here's what's interesting. Throughout the whole history of the Old Testament, there would be times when the veil would be moved back, like with Elisha and his sidekick, uh, when they were being surrounded by the armies, you know. And mm-hmm. Elisha prays that the his eyes would be opened, and it's like the veil is open, and the host of heaven are all around the mountains. And whoa, you mean these people were right here all along, and I just couldn't see them? You know, hmm. um, or Joshua, I mean, Jacob and the angels going up and down on the ladder. Uh, there are many testimonies throughout the Old Testament where you think, you know, the presence of God is right here. It's just that we can't see him. And every once in a while, he lets us see him. In fact, what do we call the prophets in the Old Testament? We call them seers. They're seers because they all, God revealed himself through the veil, so to speak, that blinded us to his presence. And he would speak to them and they would give a word on our side of the veil. And that's how we know about God that's on the other side of the veil. Well, in amazing wisdom, God put a veil in the temple. This veil that's between the Holy of Holies and man where man worships and only the high priest could go in one time a year into the veil and he had to go in with blood. And the whole point was if he, if he didn't have atonement, he died in the presence of God. Um, but once a year, you know, that story, um, the high priest would go in, he'd go behind the veil. He'd offer the, uh, sacrifice on the mercy seat on the altar. And then he would come back out and the people would celebrate our sins are forgiven. Well, What happened when Jesus died on the cross? That veil was torn in two. The veil between heaven and earth, between the blinded man to the presence of God was removed. And the new birth by the Spirit, Jesus said, unless someone is born again by the Spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. That implies that one of the things that God does whenever we're born again is we realize the presence of God isn't way out past the moon. He's right here. Uh, we have been raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Um, we are aware that, well, like it says, Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we have this awareness now that the presence of God isn't way far away. He's actually right here. I just can't see him but I feel him, I know him, I experience him in and through me. And so when Jesus, um, now to the ascension, well, let's go to the sermon, I mean, the um, transfiguration. Right there is Peter, James, and John, and they're watching Jesus and Moses and Ezra, uh, Elijah talking together. What happened? Well, there was a cloud and it's like the veil is opened and there Jesus is 
He didn't go anywhere. He was still standing right in front of them. It's just that now all of a sudden they're looking into heaven, so to speak, and seeing Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking together. Wow. How did that happen? So again, that's a testimony to me that Jesus isn't far away. Heaven's not far away. And when Jesus ascended, it just says he went up and a cloud received him. I think many of us think when Jesus, you know, when Jesus ascended, he went up like a helium balloon. He gets up and he goes and he goes smaller and smaller because in our minds, we think heaven is way out past the moon. So he's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and he's gone. And it wasn't that way at all. He was lifted up. He was raised up, but it just says a cloud received him out of their sight. So it's like he went through the veil, much like whenever he returned to the disciples in the room. He didn't come through the door. He didn't come through the wall. He just simply came through the veil because heaven's right there. It's all around us. He just, the veil was open and there he was. Or with the two people on the road to Emmaus, he was with them. And then all of a sudden stepped through the veil because heaven's right here with us and he's not there anymore. Um, It's, that's how light is. It's very interesting to study light with this kind of phenomenon in our mind. But so Jesus said, I'm going to come back the way I went. So I don't think it means we're going to see a helium balloon entrance in reverse where we hear this trumpet sound and everybody on a round globe looks up, which would be kind of weird uh, to look up and they see Jesus coming, you know, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we go, whoa, it's Jesus on a white horse. Um, I think it's not going to be that. It's going to be the opening of the veil like what happened with Stephen when he's dying and the veil is open and he sees Jesus right there standing up to receive him. That it's that close. And we're going to see the sky roll back. Everything that we're looking at is the veil and the veil will open and we will see that Jesus has always been right here. Can you imagine what that will be like? That now everyone on the earth, their knees will bow and they will see that Jesus is Lord and he has always been there with them, watching everything they do, listening to everything they have said, and they will will, will all, I think, fall on our faces before him. Some will be falling in fear. Those who are his will be falling in awe and worship. So I think it's very different than maybe the Left Behind series portrays it or, you know, that we imagine in our minds. He is as close to us as the air we breathe, said the Apostle Paul. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. You know, you mentioned having a spiritual mentor. Um, So how um, does that work? um, Like, especially if you are wanting to initiate something um, for yourself, Um, like, I guess it would be um, if you were wanting to be a spiritual mentor, I guess that might be a little more straightforward, um, you know, if the person is willing um, but like, if you're looking for a spiritual mentor, is there, um, did you start that or did your, did Jerry start that? Or, um, 
was, is there a structure to that? Mm. Do you have any advice for how, you know, we can be more involved in the church and, um, you know, this connection, mentoring type of connection? Sure. Well, for us, it, well, I will say this about mentors. I think they are a gift from God. I think God puts mentors into our lives. Um, And I think he picks them. And the way he picks them is he gives them a love for us that is somewhat unique to the rest of the people in their lives. I don't know that I can explain it naturally. I think it's just something he puts in their hearts and they're drawn to the person that they are to disciple and mentor. And then I think God does the same thing on the flip side of it, where he's put those, let's go back to the whole idea of God's putting people in our path every day, you know, Mm -hmm. and we are being put in their paths They are being put in our paths and God is working out his love in that relationship for his glory. And so with Jerry, um, we just, uh, I think the Lord just worked it. It worked it out that way in our lives. He was the retreat director at our church in Titusville, Florida, Park Avenue Baptist Church. I was a dean and athletic director of a Christian school, but I also led worship and they needed someone to lead worship in the retreat ministry. And so when they would have these retreats, I would come in and work with Jerry by leading worship. And then, and then I just began to notice his, you know, his maturity and his walk with Jesus. And I just wanted to be around it. I was, I was so hungry, Will. I was so hungry to know Jesus and know reality. And I was looking for people that, that i that I felt like had the reality in their lives. Cause at that point in time, I didn't, I was, I was a religious person. I would say seeking, I was a seeker. And so I put myself around him and he wanted me to be there. And so that began the relationship and while that was, that was almost 40 years ago. Um, and so that relationship has maintained all these years. Um, so a lot of times now, sometimes he initiates and calls and sometimes I initiate and call. But now it's more brother to brother, you know, because as you build a relationship, you realize, oh, this is not all a one way street, you know, where he's loving me. I, I want to love him because Jesus loves him. And so it developed with doing classes together, discipleship classes together. Sometimes, you know, then when we moved away and we weren't in the same location, it would be phone calls or letters or uh, now it's texting and phone calls, you know, emails. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Okay. I think, it, I think it develops organically. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll wrap up here in in a few minutes, but maybe, you know, just um, kind of a last thing just to ask you. um, 
So what's your aim in life? Like right now, um, how would you put that? Like what is, um, yeah, you know, what, what, what are you focused on and aiming for? So my aim in life is to live to love with Jesus and make disciples who live to love with Jesus. <laughs> that's the, that's the eleva- short elevator, one floor version. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, chosen to do that because that can't ever be taken away from me um, Hmm. in terms of a purpose of life. I mean, all of, all of our world could fall apart and shatter, but that won't change my purpose. So I, I've sought to pick a purpose that can't be changed until I die. And I could possibly change if uh, say I were to get Alzheimer's and lose my mind and all that. I get that. But as long as I am able, I think that's what I'm here for. And so that's why I've written the book, Live to Love. Um, and it's why I've developed the resources around it. It's at, By the way, it's at livetolovewithjesus.com. All the resources are free. The whole purpose of it is to equip people to make disciples who live to love with Jesus. Because I believe that's how Jesus advances the kingdom on the earth is by his people loving. He said, love one another as I've loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. And so I think that's what I'm here for. So yeah, I will do other things, but they're all subsidiary to, you know, to that one. And so I will, Mm -hmm. that's what Elijah Ministries now, I'm still equipping men. Those resources are still available available at spiritofelijah.com. But we created another one, live to love with Jesus.com, that I'm basically going to f- generate and focus on my generate my energies or not generate my energies, um, direct my energies <laughs> or whatever God gives me for his glory um, along that line of loving and then helping people make disciples who live to love with Jesus. So I would invite your listeners and watchers to check out those resources and uh, jump in on the adventure. I call it the live to love adventure. <laughs> it's every day's an adventure. Well, thank you, Norm. This has been really encouraging and uh, a, conver- a conversation worthy of re-listening to uh, multiple times, I'm sure. So I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Well, thank you, Will, for inviting me. I wish now we had time. I would love to hear your story. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to maybe we'll, we'll record or do Maybe I need to interview you on one of these shows. Have you ever had that happen, Will? Um, a little bit. Um, yeah, but you're welcome to do that if you'd like to do that. <laughs> I think that would be fun as well. We can have an sure. interview on the Will Jackson podcast. And today we're having Will Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would be a privilege just to talk with you again. So that would be be fine. Thank you, Will. Okay. Thank you, Norm. Uh, Blessings. Mm -hmm.